This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We sort of, uh, there's a lot of wor- words running around and one of them is like COVID fatigue and all of that stuff. And um, yet we, we're seeing, especially among the young people, one of just something very special happening. I was talking to a first year that was on the first year's camp um, and he grew up in a charismatic church. His father is actually a pastor. Uh, and he said on the camp, he just experienced God in a way like he's never experienced him. He just wept for an hour nonstop after the worship. Uh, there wasn't even a worship band necessary. Um, when the presence of God begins to take a hold of our lives, and uh, when we pure in our hearts and we have the presence of God, then we'll have the power. But you can't have the power of God without the purity in your heart. Because the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And our invitation is the star, in this time is to guard our hearts, to really be in that space where we understand that, yes, we're running this race. And I'm going to take a piece of scripture that I've probably preached on 20 times, and we're going to take it again. Because scripture is always new. It's always fresh. Every time you read it. Uh, it's two verses, and we're going to just unpack these two verses a little bit this, this morning and, and talk about it. Because it's... it's um, an encouraging message, don't worry, because some people think like, oh, you know, I don't, don't want a challenging message, but it will always be challenging as well. When it encourages you, it exhorts you, it challenges you as well. So turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I like that smile on your face. It's looking good. Great. Can I pray for us? Father, we thank you for you, Lord, in our lives. We just thank you for your presence. We don't take it for granted that you are with us. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. And we want to bless you, Father, for your freedom and Holy Spirit, that you bring that freedom and unveil us to see who you are this morning. Through your word, through our interactions, through our prayers, through our worship, through everything we do, Lord, unveil us so that we can see. Lord, we don't want to see a cultural God. We don't want to see a South African God or an Eastern God or a colorful God. Lord, we want to see you for who you are. So we lay aside, Lord, every thing, even tradition, religion, Lord, that would withhold us from running the race. Come and set us free so that we can follow you in Jesus' name we pray. So Hebrews chapter 12, amen. Did I say amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that he set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endure the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's taken up a specific position. He went um, to a specific place. That right hand of the throne of God is the authority of God, is the place from where he's praying for us and interceding. And so Hebrews chapter 12 is after Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great chapter on faith and the heroes of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 starts with, you know, now faith is the substance of things hopeful. The substance of things hopeful. You know, if you ate a good piece of meat, you say, wow, that was substance, you know. If you ate vegetables, you think like, ah, that was good side side stuff, you know. Um, So I was uh, with 22nd years, uh, went camping 20 guys, leaders, 
And, um, and we just ate meat from Friday, 12 o'clock till last night, 10 o'clock, just meat all the time, you know. Praise the Lord, you know. Uh, because, you know, when Elijah was at the brook, the Lord sent him like uh, bread and meat. Did you know that? Okay, sorry for all the greenies amongst us, but um, meat is meat, you know. But so if you have substance, it's substance. You feel like, wow, I'm, I'm actually, it's the evidence, two words, of things not seen. And yet we're conditioned in our life to walk by things we see by the things around us. So that's where he starts. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then verse 6, he goes on and he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that God is God. He is who he says he is. And you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we diligently seek him, we will find him. And so then he mentions these massive men and women of faith that was like living. And he says like most of them didn't even see the promises manifest in their lives. But they took hold of the promises that made it their own. They took ownership of it. They embraced it, Scripture says. And they saw it. But they actually, Abraham never saw the promise fulfilled. And yet we're conditioned in our lives to, I want it and I want it now. It's the entitlement generation. I was talking to a, a business guy um, that, and he won't mind me, Ati was actually speaking to the young working guys this week. And he said he was like, like putting out this offer for a logistical guy that just comes out of varsity. And there's this two years of time that he must work very hard because there's a, there's a, there's a, Something ahead, he may even become the logistical manager, which is a massive post in, in their company. You know, it's a huge company. But there's this thing of working hard for two years. And nobody wanted to apply because nobody wanted to work a night shift. Sure. It's a massive challenge with the younger generations. They don't want to take responsibility or work hard. It's the entitlement generation. And it's not their fault. It's the culture's fault. Because what? Everything is consumerism. Everything is I want it and I want it now. But if we talk about faith and if we talk about the substance of things hoped for, it is eternal. It is much bigger. And if it is really something that God gives us, it's probably not going to be fulfilled in your lifetime or my lifetime. But are we seeing it? Are we embracing it? Are we running this race? And this is what he starts with here in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, therefore, when he says therefore, it also means that there was a lot of stuff before that, you know. Therefore, now, now I come to a conclusion. We must run the race. Each one of us, we're running this race. And uh, there's a couple of things. Um, first thing that it tells us is that we have a goal. We have a destiny. We're running into eternity. <clears throat> we're not... Uh, tourists just parking, going for sightseeing every day, and then coming back to the same place. We're pilgrims passing through. We're on a way. And if, if we lose sight of that, of the fact that there's a destiny, there's a goal, we, we, <clears throat> we are living for something much bigger than ourselves, then we will get distracted. If we don't focus, then we'll get distracted about everything that happens around us. And we are the most distracted generation ever, especially in the West. 
We are so busy with so many things and there's so many stuff, but it makes us not always come to the main thing or the things that are priority in our lives or should be priority in our lives. And this is what he's challenging them on. He says, look, yeah, when you run, because these guys did it, when you run, you have to be focused. You have to be intentional. You have to be urgent, not driven, not like performance orientated because we have an identity. We have a sense of belonging because of the family of God, but you need to be focused. And whenever there's a time to be focused for the church in the West, it is now. You know, um, the vet sent me a stats on South African marriages in the last 10 years. It has halved from, I think, 190,000, that's South Africa, till about 110,000. People don't get married anymore. Divorces are up, skyrocketing in our culture. The basic fiber of our communities are breaking down. It's the family. So, so don't think we're in a good place. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it just straight on. <laughs> we messed up. Our families are messed up. We don't sit together anymore. The whole culture is rotten. And we think we're okay because we're busy. Come on. Who would agree with me? <laughs> You know, and, and, and we see it with the first years and the students coming now, just people that are so demakar, okay, confused. <laughs> they don't know where, they, they don't know what's happening in their lives anymore. And that's why church becomes so important for many of these children and for many of us, church becomes our family. That's why church needs a radical change to real discipleship, real family, real community. We're doing those things in the, in the small groups, 12 weeks of what does it mean to be a godly family? What does it mean to be godly community? Because, hey, we, more than ever, we need to change the culture. Not just to events or great happenings, but simply where we really become intentional about our relationships with one another. And it is tough. Ask Ben and Izel and Eugene. They're all living together now in a community house, you know. And I can just imagine, every time I phone Eugene, it sounds like there's war in the background, you know? I hear Ben just giggling there like a tractor. That's how his laugh is, you know? <clears throat> but I can just hear with seven kids in the house, all over the place, homeschooling, everything. It is crazy, you know? And I think like, no, 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 I'll phone you later, you know? Um, but it's, it's so amazing what's happening, you know? We've started, the Lord told us, start community houses and with the young working and the young married people. And there's a lot of young community houses now. But it's amazing how people are so needy for real community. And you can ask George, that the zone of the young working to, and young marrieds have grown from 60 to 260 or even more in two years' time. Just when you create a real community for people. Living together, staying together, loving each other. But it's tough. <laughs> the second thing that he says is we have an inspiration. When we run, we have a cloud of witnesses. We have people that's gone there. There's been there. You don't need to think like, hey, how do I figure out this way? How do I run the Christian race? There are millions of people that have run with us. And they're sitting on the stands and saying, come on. <laughs> you can do it. Don't lose focus. Don't get discouraged. There's one thing you remember of this morning service is don't get discouraged. You know, with Joshua, how many times did the Lord say in Joshua chapter 1, he says to them, only be strong and courageous, Joshua. 
Yo, because there's giants in the promised land. There's massive opposition and Moses is dead, but you be strong and courageous. <laughs> I remember, um, I've told this story before, but uh, one of the worst half marathons I've ever run in my life was the Winelands one. And um, Heinrich Titus and I decided we're going to run. And for some other reason, we got the time wrong of when the race starts. So it was like, we thought it's 6.30 a.m., but it was six o'clock. And so when we stopped here at Paul Ruiz on the side here, when we stopped, we climbed out of the car and we realized like there's not a lot of people arriving. All the cars are standing here already. The next moment we heard the gun went off. We realized they just started running and we still, you know, we're just getting out of the car. So we jumped, throw everything, run, you know. Fortunately, we had our numbers. So here we run. So now we, by the time we get to the starting line, we're already tired, you know. So you think like, oh, okay, so we didn't study the course or whatever, but you run out here, up onto there at the, almost before the Moeberger part, you know, still run up and around, come back, and here we come back here from, here on top of the engine, come down. So I think in my mind that the finish line is where the starting line was, you know? So this is just like, that's normally how it works. And so the last, but I think 800 meters or kilometer, put up some pace, here we go. Come around the bend and I realize like there's no finish. There's no da 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 your chariots of fire, run over the line. And I'm thinking like, no. <laughs> and then my legs was already like jelly, you know. So yeah, I'm running, I'm thinking like this is it. And um <clears throat> so now we have to go around again, run around, Rennish here, Paul Ruiz, all the way, because there's another one point five kilometers, one point six, and we didn't have smart watches those time, you know. So here we go. And so now I'm struggling. I didn't pace myself lacquer. It feels like it's the end. And here comes this old woman, probably 99 years old. It felt like that. But in any case, you know, he comes with a steady pace and just runs past me. He says, come on, Buddha. I'm Pada, you know. And I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like I'm dying. Yeah? And he's just on a steady pace, you know, running like there. And he just passes me. And I just see, there he goes. And there goes another one. And they all pass me. And, and I thought like, oh, it's the worst ever. Yeah? And that's sometimes how we run. We run the Christian race like that. Start off strong. How many have we seen start off strong, but they can't finish? But we have an inspiration. And our inspiration is our, is our hope. It's our faith. It's, a, it's, it's something much deeper because once you have a hope and you have something that is an anchor for your soul, don't lose hope. Don't lose heart, Scripture says. <laughs> because hope is the architect's plan that what God has planned, it will, he will complete it. Faith is taking the bricks every day and placing, building that building. But, but hope is much stronger. Hope is like there's a finished product. I've seen how the story is going to end. The world hasn't got a hope. The, no other religion has got a hope. Only Christianity. Do you know there's only Christianity that states you have a hope which is much stronger than anything else. And the second thing that Christianity, real Christianity claims above any other religion that no other religion claims is the working of miracles. That God does miracles. Can I get an amen? So... You serve a miracle-working God. The third thing, which is also in there, because we don't preach the gospel, if we don't say, hey, what's the, what's the challenge? In running this race, he says, we must lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares us and the weights of the world. 
When you run, make sure you run in the right way. And there are two things that hold us back. The sins that ensnare us, it's like a spider's web. It, it clogs your life. It keeps you away from, from living fully for God because you are, what, is, what is sin? Sin means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye, the purpose of why you're here. And so sin is that distraction. Sin is normally, you know, somebody says like, hey, I'm struggling with these things. It's just because you haven't found the true source. You're looking for something, but you've said yes to something else. And so sin ensnares us. It keeps us back. It, it clogs our view. While weights of the world, it makes our race very, very difficult. It's when you run, but you have a 50 kilogram packet on your in your backpack. I must tell you this story. I enjoyed it so much. I actually enjoyed it so much that I had to repent later. Um, <clears throat> but so here we in Nepal, and there's this one guy in the team that back-chatted me for three days. But we're up in the mountains. We, first, we had two nights of dogs. Oh, I tell you, this is quite a funny story. But so the first night we get now, we're hiking up into the mountains. We're 4,000 meters above sea level. We've just reached out to this one tribe and coming to this next tribe. And so we're excited. It's the first time that people come there. And um, <clears throat> we're a whole group of people. And so as we go to bed the evening, there are these dogs, these tribal dogs. They start to bark. And they bark the whole night. Like literally, we didn't sleep. You know, and now we're presenting this whole thing the next day, this whole two-day seminar with all the Christians from the region. They've come out, and we are dead tired, you know. And so we're 12 guys, and I just tell them, look here. And it's like the Lord gave me a word of wisdom, yeah. Because I realized that after an hour, I realized I don't see any of the dogs because they went to sleep. So I got a word of wisdom. I decided like, okay, five guys are going to pray all the time. Five guys are going to be in the seminar. And three guys are going to make sure the dogs are awake the whole day. Because if they don't sleep during the day, they will sleep during the night. <laughs> so it's funny. Now we're presenting the seminar and you just go, ow, ow. And there goes another dog. You know, and just shout. So, the, so the, uh, these three guys were just chasing the dogs around in circles in this village all day, you know. And so the next, that night, the second night, we all sleeping there, and we just realized we're going we're gonna to scare these dogs. The first bark, because, I don't know, it's like the, you know, the, the, the cocks that crow, you know, they 10 o'clock, when you want to go to bed, the dogs bark, you know. But we're all lying in the tents, and we just decided when that first bark comes, we're going to just jump out of the tents. Now, Stefan was here, Stefan Jacobs, he was, he was on that mission. I've never seen a guy jump out of a tent so quickly, unzip the tent and scream and run 10 meters to the first dog. And those dogs ran. They ran for two kilometers. They stayed on the mountain the four days that we were there. It was just amazing. The Lord delivered us from the enemy, you know, because I thought like they possessed. But in any case, <clears throat> why am I telling this story? But... <clears throat> Focusing, I completely forgot why I told the story, but but you know, you need to get the distractions away. <laughs> oh, the backpack, yo man, why do you interrupt me so much, Willem? But in any case, so so now there's this one guy in the in the in the um, in the team, and he just chirps me and chirps me, and he's but just one of those guys that are just like like that, you know, that's just their personality. 
So at the end, I thought, okay, I'm going to get you back, you know. I, I'm going to sort you out. So I made sure, because all the bags, now these big bags, 70-liter hiking bags, they're standing there. And I said to the guy, no, you need to just go and check the rooms on the other side if there's anything in the rooms that we maybe left. That's after we packed everything. And I realized, I'm going to get you back. And I, I said to the two guys, you get the two biggest stones that you can. And so when this guy went to check our rooms, I put those stones at the bottom of his 70-liter bag, you know. And so I thought, yeah, you want to back chat me? We'll sort out, show who's got the authority here, yeah. I kid you not, two kilometers into the walk, he goes like, yo, but this bag is heavy. Yo, three kilometers in the walk, but this is like a walk, eh? So it's up there, you know, in the mountains. He goes like, oh, my legs are aching. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I've been just enjoying every moment. And everybody is so duck funny laugh, you know, they're so thick of the laugh that, um, yeah. <clears throat> and I realized like, Hey, if you carry stuff on you, your muscles are going to ache. And you're going to like, and so after about 10 kilometers, we took out these big, huge stones out of his bag. And he couldn't believe it. And I said, yeah, if you ever do that again, it's going to be 50 kilograms next time. But in any case, yeah. <laughs> but we sorted him out right there. He was quiet for three days. But um, it's a picture of sometimes that we really carry stuff that we're not supposed to carry. Burdens that we're not supposed to carry. And the Lord says, cast your cares upon him. If you don't do that, you're going to get into trouble. Because your muscles are going to begin to ache, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and some of us here this morning, we're carrying burdens that, that God must carry. We're trying to play God in our own lives. And we're sometimes trying to play God in other people's lives. Sometimes as parents, we try to do stuff. We try to convict our kids. We try to be God to them. But do you really trust God with your children? Do you really trust God with your family? Or are you overparenting? Because you're treating them through fear. Don't do that. Because God will be God. Allow God to be the real father of your children. Is that tough? No, it's true. If we overparent our kids, we're going to get into trouble. Because we're motivating them through fear. And this is why it says when you, when you run, you have, you, have, you have to be focused and you have to make sure that the things, the habits, the pleasures, the self-indulgences, those things that we sort of say, well, it's not really sin, but, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this because, you know, it's an escapism. We go into this stuff, but we know it doesn't fulfill us. It says, don't run like that. Don't run. Cast off the sins. Cast off the heavy weights. The fourth thing that he says, and I'm just looking at the scripture. We're going to read it again now. We have a means. It says, run with endurance. Run, the word there is hypomone, however you want to say that. You know, it's always nice to throw the Greek on there, and then nobody in any case knows what it means. But let me tell you what it says. It says, run with determination. Not in a hurry, but not to delay. It says you cannot be passive when you run. You're not driven, but you are taking responsibility. You're actually taking charge to be obedient and to follow God with determination. You are focused. Christians must be focused in this time. There's um, Pastor Reino from the Cape Town Church sent me a, a, a photo. I posted on, on 
on the on the Facebook of this lion lying on the couch <laughs> and these nice sweets and all that stuff, but sleeping like many lions that are asleep. You cannot outsource your spiritual responsibilities to others. You cannot outsource your prayer life to the church or to the children, teachers at, at the kiddies church. You cannot outsource the natural and spiritual duties that God has given you. You have to diligently seek him. And self-pity and excuses is not going to make it. Sorry, you can't say, Lord, no, no, no. You know, those guys, they really worship you. And because I belong to a worshiping church, it means we're all worshiping you. <laughs> no. <laughs> there's certain things, a couple of weeks we spoke about it, a couple of weeks ago, it says there's certain stuff every Christian do and will, must do. It's like breathing, it's praying, <laughs> spending time in the Word, <laughs> worshiping the Lord. Not because we must. But because that's what Christians do. It's we breathe like that. That's what we live. That's, our, that's who we are. It's not things we do. You know, if you're in love with somebody, you don't go through a tick list and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, trying to get favor from my girlfriend. <laughs> no, no, if you're in love with somebody, you just want to spend time together. You just have to sort of like focus to do all the other stuff because, hey, you just, you just want to be there. You know, you drive. You know, I, I would drive sometimes and I would no petrol in the car. I would free down every hill. You know, so Lowry's Pass, when I came down here, I made sure, you know, that I had one of these old, old Mercedes, diesel Mercedes. I would fill it on the plus, you know, when I was there on holidays. would fill that tank, you know, I, I would tip the car. I would actually park the car that it's like this so that I can get more diesel into the car. Then I'll shake it, you know, and I'll fill it up and I'll make it to the brim. I'll even lift it up, sometimes go onto a little... So that this tank is full at the farm, you know, and then I'll close it up and then I'll drive to come to Louise, you know, and I'll free every hill down, every hill. I would just do 70. I would spare the petrol because I didn't have any money, but I would do anything to get to that girl. I almost said chick, that girl, you know, the cool one, you know. But when we, when, we, when we do that, it's because we're in love with God. But we determine to let go of the obstacles and not to get discouraged. Don't get discouraged on the way. And that's why it says we run with endurance. We run with endurance. God gives us a grace. That's the petrol tank. It's the grace of God in our lives. It's the grace of God in our lives, you know. The uh, Friday night while we were camping with these group of guys, it always happens to me, but I don't know why, but um, we were beautiful, nobody camping near, near us. And then right when we went to sleep at 10 o'clock, there was a group of people that came to camp close to us. And they night people, doof, 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 the whole night. At quarter past three, I was already imagining how I'm going to burn down their tent 
throw a petrol bomb, do anything. (laughs) But it's amazing when you're there. And now suddenly all the love scriptures and the forgiveness scriptures come in your heart. You know, you have to remind yourself that you're a Christian again. You have to release them, forgive them. Lord, bless them and take them far away from me. But I curse their sound. No, no, no. (laughs) But I was just saying, Lord, can something not happen? Or let it rain fall, something, yeah? But it's amazing. It's just when we camp, there's always like somebody just next to us that come. They have the whole camping site to go camp, but they come to camp right next to us, and now it's doof, 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 doof. So I heard through the night. They say, said good night 400 times. They used a bit of weed, but then they go, then two goes to sleep. And I think, that, but this must be the last ones, the last ones, you know? And then there's another two. And then it's just like the same CD playing over the whole night. That was the problem, you know? Why am I saying this? But, you know, sometimes there's a lot of stuff that comes to steal our endurance and comes to take away from that being focused on why we're running. And that's why the next thing says we have an example. We have an author and a finisher of our faith. We have a joy that was set before him, and he despised the shame. There's not one person that will be able to say to God, God, sorry, but I suffered more than what you did. There will be no accusation towards Jesus when we get to see him one day. Not one. Sorry. Maybe you think your, promise, your problems were big or you had a bad deal. Jesus had the worst. He suffered in the worst way that any human could ever suffer. I'm not nullifying what you have been going through maybe or what I've been going through, but there's no place for self-pity in the kingdom of God. There's no place to say, oh, I'm just using excuses because we have an example. And that's why it says when you run the race, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He completed the book of your life. How many of you want to read that book? It's finished. It's not like, hey, halfway through the chapter, Jesus got distracted and said like, oh, I'm not going to finish his story or her story. That's just too, too bad, you know. But go and read. Go and ask God, Lord, if you are the author and the finisher of my faith, then Show me what it means. You've completed this book. The final chapter has been written. Not just about your story, but also about my story. Because he is the author and the finisher of your faith. But something kept Jesus there. And it says that's the joy. There was a joy set before him. If you and I don't run in the same way with the joy that they set before us. And with despising the shame. We will lose that endurance, we will lose that example. And that's why he's now, he's, the shame is such a deep-rooted thing in our culture. But you have to despise the shame. Shame is to have the wrong identity. That's why he gave you a new identity. Shame says, I'm wrong. Guilt says, I've done wrong. But God wants to set us free from shame because we're birthed in shame. There's so much say, oh, you're not good enough. God can never use you. You're just a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And, and just lies, the father of lies that just come and say, no, you're never going to make it. You're not good enough. You're, not, you, you're just, you, you just going to die young. You're just never going to be good enough for God. He despised the shame. He didn't just remove it or cover the shame. He despised it. He went to break it on the cross. And there was a joy that was set before him. A joy that is not about circumstances or emotions or the next nice sermon or the next psych up or the next Bible verse for the day that keeps the devil away. That joy was to know his father and that joy was for each one of us to enter into that same joy. 
That's why he did it. The joy that was set before him. God wants to release a joy over the church that is, that is so much different than what we think. It's not a happiness. It's something much deeper. A joy that comes from knowing him. And this brings me to the last seven points. No, I'm joking. The last point. Probably the most important of them all. We have the presence of Jesus. That's what defines us. He went to sit down at the right hand of the Father, on the throne of God. He's always making intercession for us. And the presence of God is the thing, it's the most amazing reward we can ever have here on earth. It's to know Him and to be known by Him. He said in Matthew 28, He says, Hey, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, do all these things, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. The presence of God. You've got a companion. You've got a Holy Spirit that wants to walk with you every day, that wants to remind you of things, that wants to show you things to come, that wants to birth the purposes of God in your life, that brings such a freedom. And, and what we many times do, unfortunately, even in church, is oh, yeah, we sort of switch God on and then we switch Him off again. You can't. You go to bed every night, but He doesn't. <laughs> He's awake every time. And even your spirit as well is awake all the time. And it's so important that we say that to each other because it's the evidence of things not seen. We're conditioned to look at what we see. And Scripture says, no, the people of God don't live like that. They have a different culture, a different way. Sometimes you just have the promise of God and you hang on to it. You say, yes, thank you, Lord. I'm going to take ownership of those promises. I'm not going to get discouraged. Again with Joshua, God says, hey, only be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. Only like, hey, Joshua, massive giants, but don't look at the giants. And then Joshua and Caleb. I love Caleb, you know. Caleb comes and he says, I'm stronger now than I was 40 years ago when we came here the first time. All of our friends died. Everyone died in the wilderness. But Joshua and Caleb did not die. Why? Because they always had their eyes fixed. They had a promise of God. They knew there was a promised land. Doesn't matter how difficult it was. Doesn't matter how challenging it was. They saw. They looked in a different way. The other spies saw the giants. And then the other spies said, hey, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. You know? We're like small. We're nothing in their eyes. Huge giants. We just. And all Joshua and Caleb saw was a land flowing with milk and honey and bultong. It's just amazing. How can two look differently at a certain way and others just see the negative? Others just see the gemors, the gemors. Others just see the confusion. And so God wants to heal our eyes as Christians. And he's asking, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? How are you running this race? And we need to bring, you know, in, in the revelations, it says, bring your eyes to God. It says that so that he can anoint your eyes. I solve that you can see. Because <laughs> if it becomes blurry, we can't see. We can't see that there's a road. There's a, there's a way. We, we, God has called us as Christians to live differently. Why? Because we have the presence of God with us. We don't call down the presence of God. Please don't pray like that. Please say, oh, Lord, please be with me. God cannot answer a prayer like that because he said he will be with us all the time. Emmanuel, that's who he is. It's not a switch on and a switch off. 
And some of the younger generations are discovering it. I was speaking to a student yesterday, and he says, well, they were 40 people just having a social and a bride, and then the bride always ends in a worship and a prayer and a ministry time for each other. And with him in that conversation was another guy that got saved 10 days ago at one of these brides. And I said, that's how the kingdom should be. Because hey, if we as Christians come together, we don't exclude God from our brides. Yeah, we had a great meal together, but we never prayed together. We never worshiped together. Well, are you just a social tennis club? What's, what's the difference? It's the presence of God. It's God with us and the fact that he speaks to us and that he wants to use you in that place. Because I can't be at that prayer. If it's good meat, I will be at that prayer. If it's, you know, just around the corner, don't invite me. No, no, I'm joking. But the crazy thing is, is we, we, we don't even think of it as Christians. that Like, like I'm praying now, but you know what? Maybe, maybe God wants to say something because he's here as well. Then we treat him like wallpaper. No, no, because we'll see you on Sunday, Lord. You're not really welcome here. Wow. So don't just pray like for the food. At the end of the bride, just say like, hey, is there anyone here, some, someone that we can pray for? Is there anyone here that has a need? Is there anyone here that, hey, maybe is going through a tough time? We want to encourage you. Just simple, ask a question. You don't need to get 10 words of knowledge. Just realize God is with us. And I, and I promise you, it's beginning to happen. It's beginning to happen with the younger people, but we as the older people, we must just wake up a little bit and say, yes, God, we, we, we don't want to lose our first love. We want to be fathers and mothers to this generation that's coming. We don't want to switch you on and off. We can't because you're in control. Wow. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes. Suddenly the Holy Spirit is there. We're aware of who he is and what he wants to say because God has always got something to say. He says, I speak to my sheep. You hear my voice. The greatest lie in the church and especially churches like ours is like we're very charismatic but we don't allow God to speak. Because we're sometimes religious. We just have some ice cream with, with our Thai meat, you know? And we think like, well, because we have a nice band, it means that we're actually worshiping. Because we sing nice songs in church that we're actually worshiping. There's a guy, Jeremy Riddle, that's wrote a small little book called The Great Reset, or The Reset. And he walked away from, about a year ago, he just walked away from big bands, big this, big... Big industry, because the Christian industry is huge. The music industry in the Christian circles is massive. You have to produce a CD every year. You have to be on stage and like, come on, come on, let's worship the Lord. You know, but lots of noise. And you think like, you know, I, I must say, <laughs> I just, it's just a pet thing. You know, if somebody in the middle of a worship song just says like, come on, come on. I think like, oh no, man, I'm not at a rugby match. I'm not like, need to be psyched up to worship the Lord, you know, just there's too much of you on the stage, you know. So what I like about Marnus and James and a lot of these worship leaders, you don't recognize that on stage. They're just facilitating. You know, one of James's Pringles 
big dreams is that the worship band will stand at the back. People won't see. Because, you know, in America now, if you want to stand here, you have to lose 20 kilograms of weight. You have to go for a facelift. Only the best people that look the best and all look like models make it onto the stage. Go, just watch it. It, it oh, I, I get, I just think like, what? This is not a show business. This is worshiping God. That's why it's so great that we're smaller groups. <laughs> that we can't meet in big churches, big buildings. Because suddenly the worship goes down just to sometimes a guitar. Sometimes just the screen, you and Jesus. Because that's really the heart of worship. The heart of worship isn't fanfare. Isn't, come on, let's suck each other up. Yo, I look at Christian TV and I'm ashamed to say, sure, is that worship? Have you noticed what they worship in heaven? Huh? Do you know what the angels sing? They don't sing, sing oh, you're a wonderful God. And you are so focused on the needs of the people. You're so good to them. And you are answering all their prayers because they are the center of the worship here in heaven. I don't see one worship song in the book of Revelations that has got anything to do with the needs of the people. They're just responding to what they see and who they see. Now, I'm not saying we can't sing declaration songs. He's a good, good father. But I don't see any me, I, and myself sing, singing in worship in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who was and who is and who is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. All the strength, all the honor, all the power, all the glory belongs to him forever and ever. Man's needs is not being worshipped. It's not being recognized in heaven, sorry. And most of our worship is about our needs. I want to feel good because I make a declaration over my life. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying there's something new God is birthing. Where it's just, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of my weakness. You are worthy of my remorse. You are worthy of my baggage. You are worthy of my life. You are worthy of my mess. You are worthy of my successes. You are worthy. But I've come to learn to be a worshiper before God. Because I really value His presence. I have a reward. The reward is not the breakthrough. The reward is God Himself. That's what Moses said. Lord, unless you go with us, we, we want to stay here. We can have the, they can have the promised land. But God brought people out to Mount Sinai to worship him, not to give them tablets on stone, not to talk to them. He didn't once, when he spoke to Moses, said, Hey, I'm taking you out of the world so that you can have a promised land. When Moses met him at the burning bush, he said, Moses... Bring my people here so that they can worship me here and know me here and encounter me here. 
bring my people. I want to make them a worshiping people. When they see me, they will know me. They will respond to me. And then the people says, no, we want tablets. We want you to speak to Moses. Not us. Because hey, we want rules. We want regulations. We want easy formulas. We don't want to worship. But God didn't speak about the promised land. And yet he's a good God. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.